Hi everyone and welcome back to Salt Talks. My name is Rachel Pether and I'm a Senior Advisor to Established Capital based in Abu Dhabi as well as being the MC for Salt, a thought leadership forum and networking platform that encompasses business, technology and politics. Now Salt Talks, as many of you know, is a series of digital interviews with some of the world's foremost investors, creators and thinkers. And just as we do at our Global Salt Conference series, we aim to empower really big, important ideas and provide our audience a window into the mind of subject matter experts. Today, we'll be focusing on wealth and why it can be both suffocating and liberating. I'm very excited to be joined by someone I consider a dear friend, Peter Bearhalter, the co-head of IOMI Private Investment Office, an investment partnership of women principals from Saudi Arabia. Now, Ida has a number of strategic advisory and board positions, a not-for-profit organization focused on propelling women's participation as entrepreneurs and leaders. Ida also acts as Senior Advisor to Women in Parliament's Global Forum and the Female Board Pool, a European organization that focuses on encouraging women to board of directors' positions. Now, as always, if you have any questions for Ida during today's talk, just enter them in the Q&A section of your screen. Ida, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, firstly, maybe you can start, we were having a conversation just before, I've known you for some time and I've never actually known what IOMI stands for. So maybe before we begin, you could actually outline what IOMI, I-O-M-E stands for. So there are actually three meanings. So when we did, uh, when we named the child, uh, we had different uh, ideas and at the end everybody was happy so it is uh, actually you can I own me is a wordplay like saying I own me and then the one like me who wanted really rather a very rational name is investment office Middle East and then also what we are doing is uh, the I is for invest the O is for observe the M is for mentor and the E is for educate so um, we were quite happy with the outcome so that everybody got the meaning they wanted I love that. And I also love the fact that you sort of take your nice German structure to the name. So maybe we, we start there. You're uh, German by origin. Tell me what took you to Saudi Arabia uh, a decade ago. So what makes you brought there? So I did a talk. Uh, I was involved in this woman leadership like Astia and um, I was a trustee there. And then um, I did a talk in London about woman leadership. And at the time, I worked for a Swiss family office. And uh, the talk uh, brought me to the attention of some people who actually wanted to control their wealth themselves. And uh, we ended up um, that I went to Saudi. Uh, we had a conversation. We actually had no idea except that there was the desire to be in control of wealth and their financial destiny, uh, what to do. And at the end, we... Um, yeah, we founded an educational family office. Uh, and when, for example, my husband asked me when I came back from Saudi after my first trip, what an educational family office is, I actually had to reply, I'm not sure yet. We will figure it out on the way. And um, it was also for me and kind of an, a journey because it combined what I did, like uh, a family office, but but the empowerment part, especially empowerment part of, of uh, women. Um, and over the years, we then... Uh, did, really found out that um, taking, you know, 
charge of your financial destiny means a lot. It also means that you have to take on responsibility. You have to um, have to take charge of your not just financial, but also social destiny and your educational destiny. And yet you have to um, uh, it's not just being rich, you know, being rich is it's hard work if you want to do it the right way. So this was 10 years ago that your husband said to you, what is an educational family office? Is that, if I was to say that to you now, what would your response be? It's a holistic thing. First, you have to find out who you are, what you are, and what your ecosystem is. This is the most important thing. So especially when you are, you know, are you the owner of the wells? Are you just the beneficiary of the wells? Are you the nominal owner of the wells? So mean that, that other people control your destiny because you have no clue what's going on with your investments. Um, do you want to know what's going on with your investments or are you rather the ignorant type? For me, it's important that you are honest with yourself and find out who you are and what your capabilities are, what your talents are. And then you have to structure everything around it, what you want to, to be or what you can be. Sometimes you have to accept that it's not possible. We had, for example, the situation um, that we had a a woman in the network who was, let me say, intellectually not very gifted. So actually it was quite dangerous for her to assume that she could control her wealth uh, in a way, but it was more um, likely that other people who were much more intelligent than her would take advantage of her. So we, we built up a system for her that she was surrounded by people she could trust and people who would not take advantage of her. And her talent is actually in the artistic field. So she could go and pursue her artistic talent. And, you know, we, we have different talents. So, for example, um, there are people who can't cook and people who are fantastic at cook. And when it comes to intellectual capabilities, you know, we judge people more harsh. And I, I really don't understand it, why that is the case. But if you are wealthy, you are very vulnerable uh, because wealth attracts, per se, a lot of, of the wrong people uh, for the wrong reasons. And, and, and this was kind of my, my nicest journey because she was always um, kind of embarrassed because she knew that she was not, let me say it like quite colloquial, the brightest bulb in the lamp. And she, she tried to hide it all the time. And, and it, was, it took a lot of energy for her to do that. And by that hiding, using the, the time for hiding this, you know, she lost, lost the opportunity to, to look after her artistic talent. Now, now she is in a situation where her wealth is controlled. She understands what's going on because there are people who are trustworthy and explain it to her, people who respect her for who she is and, and know that she needs more time to understand financial things. And she can use her money to support artists and pursue her artist destiny. And for me, that was one of the most beautiful things that at the end, we found something which works perfectly for her um, uh, without barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, no, that's a really great story. And thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned vulnerability, Edith, so maybe we can dive a bit more into some of the other issues that come with wealth. You know, it can be both liberating and, and suffocating at the same time. So maybe talk me through uh, some more of those issues and also how you're dealing with them within the private office. So it means so, um, you are as vulnerable as your ecosystem. And when you are very wealthy, you know, you don't, uh, not a lot of people choose really the ecosystem or think about the ecosystem. You know, you are born in a family. That's your first ecosystem. And then your other ecosystem develops out of that. A lot of people don't really sit back and ask themselves, so what would I choose for myself if I could choose? And, you know, it ends sometimes up that 
your parents give you advice for your professional destiny and they're actually not the best maybe not the best people to ask because they 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 live in their own ecosystem they have their own kind of piece of knowledge and it's the same for financial uh, for financial destiny so you're vulnerable because um people kind of creep up to you with um, intentions because they want to sell you something or they want to participate in your wealth and the only question you have to ask that's fine when people want to participate but is it justified that they participate so is it somebody who works for you in a capacity which uh, kind of is beneficial for you or is it just somebody who um, you know takes takes advantage of you you know uh, It's, or drags you into the wrong things, does not really kind of let you grow, but rather keeps you back. There are family offices who by, um, let me say, by design, keep the nominal wealth owners stupid and distant from their wealth. You know, trust funds is a special example. You know, you make a trust fund to keep the money from your children or the control from your children, and you trust that the people who administer the trust fund are the better people. That might be the case, but it also might not be the case. And, um, and you know, a lot of the, the trust fund kids, you know, where, where a lot of people are paid as trustees and they are not paid kind of meager money to take care of the money. And they do it sometimes better, sometimes worse. You know, if you want really to read, read about Hershey chocolate, there is a book about the, fa the Hershey family. And, and how um, the foundation and everything went wrong because it obviously went in the hands of the wrong people. So at the end, the intention of the people who created the wealth and what, it, what happens with that is, is one of the most um, you know, irritating examples I know of. And there are many more. And vulnerability is also... Excuse me, there is also vulnerability is that you are afraid of that it becomes public knowledge. Especially in the Middle East, I found a lot of people who said, oh, you know, I was taken advantage of. Uh, sometimes people stole my money. And I say, why don't you go after them? And they don't because they don't want to lose face. And I like sometimes, you know, the crooks build on your, um, you know, fear of losing your face. And um, they rather lose their money. And this frustrates me sometimes a lot. Mm -hmm. And what's that saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I think that kind of comes into play a bit here as well. And I want to go a bit deeper into the, the ecosystem piece, especially because I know you focus a lot on the female principles. So tell me a bit about how the gender biases play out in this relationship in terms of trusting someone or being taken advantage of. What, what are some of the biases you see there? I think first, one of the, the positive biases is that women have a very good gut feeling, much more than men. And um, if they learn to trust it, and sometimes they don't trust the gut feeling because they are kind of limited by their culture. For example, you have to respect an elder man. Um, so, or you respect to have an elder woman, it's the same. It's, there are some, there are some um, biases or some, some, some things which keep you from thinking clearly. It's like a fog in your brain. So it's the same like, you know, it's a lot of cultures. Men with a lot of children are respected people of a society. And I always ask myself, why? Why is the ability to see a lot of children say something about a person? 
you know, the character of a person. And there are, there are other things. And if you start thinking about that, and this is, this is what we do a lot to think about what triggers your emotion positively, negatively. So why do people kind of trigger your fear um, to lose a good business opportunity to make you sign a piece of paper and sign off your investments? So there, there are some things, some, some simple things where you can kind of learn to start saying no also to yourself. It's like uh, you don't sign what you don't understand and you are not afraid to tell people, I don't understand because it's not my problem and I don't understand. If you want to sell me something, it's your problem to make me understand. It's not my problem. If you can't, I don't buy. So being a little bit more harsher and then in, especially in the, in the Middle East culture, you know, you tell a good woman is kind of uh, shy, uh, she rather doesn't look people in the eye. There are a lot of things where you virtually train habits, so socially habits, which when it comes to your wealth are really kind of uh, harming yourself. So if, and you have to kind of split your personality and it's not, it's not difficult because I have also split personality. I'm different when I'm with my children as a mother, when I'm with my parents or when I fight with my husband. So you just need to consciously split your personality a bit more that you say, okay, in a social context, as a wealthy woman, I behave that way. But when it comes to my money and I talk with a banker, I actually look him in the eye and I actually, I'm not afraid to even use the F word at one point if I deem it fit. So you have just to add a more, a, you have to add a layer to your personality where you are, um, can act in this environment, in this ecosystem, in a, in a reasonable way that you can make your point. So that doesn't mean that you kind of do the same in your social uh, system, except you want to change your social kind of acceptance. So if you want to be heard by your father that you might be a candidate to take over the company or to manage the wealth of the family, then he must see you. And he might be very uncomfortable because if he only is used to woman in a different context, then you have to give him time to get used to you, to this new you. And, it, and um, you, cannot, you cannot kind of go in like, an, you know, like with a machine gun and tell people, so now I'm, I'm this person, I want this. You have to, have, because you live in an ecosystem, you live in a family, you have to give people time to adjust. And sometimes you have to leave a certain ecosystem because you cannot grow. But this is an even harder decision, especially when it comes to family. We had this situation as well, where we made a, where the, the lady made a conscious decision to stay in the family because she said, my money or the control of my money is not worth kind of leaving my family behind. And this would be the only option. I have to tell my father, I'm leaving you and my, my brothers uh, because they don't, they don't trust me to, to handle the money. Uh, so, and she made a, a conscious decision and a conscious decision is much more better to live with, to accept than a decision which is forced on you. And, and you kind of, you, you always um, regret the circumstances and you, you feel like a victim. You know, if you take control, make a conscious decision, you're not longer a victim. That's, um, I think women are often, they need to think consciously in what situation they have to be who and add just this other layer. And this is what we did with the financial thing, that we say, you know what, if it's your money, you look the people in the eye, you have a very, um, very harsh handshake because it's good to set the zine. And, and uh, you, you make your point, you, or even speak loud. You speak in a voice you would never 
think about speaking to your parents. Um, so we even had, a, you know, we had training for the voices for them to speak up. Um, as an example, I, we did it by screaming through a park where I stand in front of them and then we made more and more distance and they had to say a sentence to me and I need to understand the sentence. So I gave them something to read, different sentences, and then I need to hear it even 50 meters away. And they really had to shout at me for me to understand what they are, what they are doing. It was one of our most embarrassing exercises in the middle of London, uh, where I think a lot of people are thinking about calling the guys with the the white suits with the long arms because it's, <laughs> but it was part of the game. We enjoyed it. That's, that's an, that's an excellent story. I'm happy you're doing that in a London park rather than in Saudi or, or in Abu Dhabi. That might've stayed there. <laughs> yeah, what I think, what I think is, is most interesting is, you know, you talk about choice and, and standing up and I think it's quite easy for, you know, people like, yourself and, and myself and growing up in that Western background, we we appreciate that we can make whatever choices we like. We've always had that freedom. But, I mean, it's quite a cultural shift, right, when you've never really had choice. And, and an audience question has actually come in. Given you've been in Saudi for 10 years, have you noticed, noticed a shift sort of in recent years, particularly with MBS coming into power and relaxing some of the other in Saudi, like giving women the power to drive, etc. Have you sort of seen that accelerating the cultural shift? Actually, I would say, and and you know, I'm, I'm not sure if this is offensive, but I would actually say that MBS is a female role model um, um, because he he is a, a role model for for uh, some men to to change a system in in a way where they, they know they have power and they, they say, I use my power for the, for the good of others. So he, he opened the country a lot. He, he kind of, I really think he forced some men out of their comfort zone and, and tell them, you know what, your comfort zone was, you know, this totally covered up, not kind of very empowered uh, um, woman. And now we accept that our female uh, population is part of our assets. So we don't ignore the assets any longer because we want the talent, we want the, uh, the, the education we invest in them. So, so why would you uh, educate uh, the woman and then don't let them use what uh, the education you give them? So I, I really see this and, and as an, a kind of an outer, um, let me say, signal, you know, the, the, the clothing kind of uh, uh, restriction have loosened up a lot. And I think that it's also important that it's not just in the mind of the people, but also is visible to the people. And so, so the, the men who kind of are more afraid uh, to leave their comfort zone because they, they believe that, that when a woman is, is kind of um, taking charge, that is a danger. Um, you know, they get more comfortable. Then. Of course, there are aggressions because people who fear the change, the fear, and they only have some, uh, the, their only option is to uh, become aggressive. You still have them also. Um, so the, the country has changed a lot. And I really hope that it is an, a road, a direction, which, which kind of whatever the pace the country is able to go um, is going because there, as I said, you know, this is for me, it's a, you, you can't ignore half of your assets, your human assets, by, by, by um, making the other half 
comfortable uh, and actually telling them, you know what, you, you harm your assets to be more comfortable. It's like a bit, you have a fantastic kind of piece of land or garden, whatever, and you don't plow it. Uh, you, you just shut it off and let it lie bare and, and uh, not develop it. So I changed a lot. And I really like the, um, the energy in the country. You know, it, it's, it's the, the, and you see, you virtually feel the buzz of people who want to do something. And I'm not sure if, if it's just my, my feeling, but I see a lot of entrepreneurs. I hear from a lot of people that they want to create businesses, a lot of uh, kind of ideas and sometimes crazy ideas, but the crazy ideas are, you know, are the, the real creative ones. So um, you see the arts coming up, you see the sports coming up. So there's a lot of development, mental development of, of uh, the mental, you know, the, men the mental societal development which is amazing and and the pace they are going is breathtaking it's it's kind of um so i think a lot of the the, the men over there who support the woman um should not be offended by me saying they are female role models the same like some women out there you know i know some women there who are actually male role models who who let's men be in awe of them you know if you for example see Rima bin Bandar who is the US ambassador or the ambassador of Saudi to the US you know she is for me a male role model because she shows you know that she that what women can do and makes men who are kind of not comfortable with that much more comfortable and sometimes she might even force the issue but by being who she is so people can't ignore her they can't put her back in the box um so that is, uh, for me, it's an amazing development. And I just don't see it only in, 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 in uh, Saudi Arabia. So it's, it's not just the kingdom. I see it in, in a lot of other countries um, in the Middle East. But um, it's also, uh, and this is, this is what I always uh, try to point out, you know, it's not that we are in Western times so far ahead. My mother, when she um, had a working contract or wanted to open a bank account, my father had to sign and that was 75, 1975. It's not so long ago. I was 10 years old where my mom had my father to sign her opening of a bank account. So um, we, we try to, to uh, ignore that, but um, you know, just look a little bit in history. See the voting rights for women in Switzerland. It's not that long ago. So I think we should not be too arrogant when we talk about Saudi now making the choice to um, empower their other 50 half of, of the um, population. Uh, I think it's, it doesn't look good on us if we are too arrogant because, you know, they can read as well. If they look in our history, they might say to us, you know what, it's not too long ago since you had the same situation. No, absolutely. Although at the risk of sounding arrogant, I would like to add that New Zealand was the first country in the world to get women the vote. So, and we do have one of the world's best countries. Yeah, so just like to drop, drop that in. Uh, we've had a number of audience questions come in, and they're very good. They're actually better than my questions, so I'll ask um, them now. Thanks as always for your question, Ken. He has said such an impressive effort. What other kind of advocacy in Saudi Arabia in general is Ida seeing for better educating women on financial management or addressing institutional norms? And financial management. So maybe have a little bit more on the financial and investment. That is, uh, so I don't see, I, as I'm kind of focused on the family uh, offices, uh, 
So I, I don't really can say a lot of the financial institutions. I see a lot of women uh, in, uh, you know, all the uh, KPMG, EY. Um, I see a lot of lawyers. So I see coming them virtually, uh, you know, it, it's like as if they are coming out of the hiding. So you see them everywhere. You see them in the banks. Um, so when it comes to financial in the family offices, I see a lot of um, the daughters uh, taking really charge and a lot of the fathers actually proud letting them take charge. I actually had a situation when I was in Jeddah in March. I met a, um, a family which has, so they have daughters and sons. And I was totally amazed that actually the, the principal, so the wealth owner said, you know what, my middle daughter will be the one because she's the most gifted. And I was like, he really made the choice based on different things. So he didn't choose the eldest son. He didn't choose the eldest daughter. He really looked uh, you know, at his children and not as a father, but, but as somebody who has a company and choose the middle daughter to be the best candidate. And also the one who wants to do this because it's the important thing. What he said, I need somebody who wants to do this, not who can do this. And, and um, so you see also the mindset changes a lot. And so when you go in and sit with the female principals, I know you mentioned you sort of do that overall, let's call it a competencies test for lack of a better description. Do you also, you know, train them in financial literacy, for example, so they can make those investment decisions for themselves if that is, A, something they want to do and, and B, something they're fit to do? So the principle I follow is that I think if you are an investor, you need an ecosystem. You need trusted people around you. So what I do, we teach or I teach them about each and every geography, each and every asset class and each and every uh, sector, but on a very kind of high level, because I want to see where they catch fire. Because if you, if you, are, if you want to do something right, you have to have an interest in that. So, and for example, if you have somebody who's interested in tech, then I pursue that. And then I introduce to this principle people in tech who are either fantastic tech investors, fantastic tech entrepreneurs, and then let's build her up her own ecosystem because she needs to have her ecosystem. She can obviously, you know, go into mine, but she needs to surround herself with people which are her people, not my people. Um, so, and then when she has this network, I always tell them, if you want to start investing, don't invest money, invest time. Invest time in relationship, building up relationship, because you need to have a, a little black book of people to ask, you know, to call and say, you know what, I want to invest in this. Could you have a look? Uh, or I want to invest in this. Would you be a co-investor? Or of people of, who call you and said, you know what, I have a fantastic investment. Come in as a co-investor and I accept you as a co-investor with 100,000 or 50,000 bucks. This is the other rule I tell them. When we start investing, when they start investing on their own, the rule is, no more than 100,000 US dollars, which sounds ridiculous in comparison to the wealth they have. But this is kind of learning more than, than you know, putting money in, you know, learning how to read the contracts, learning how to have the discussions, getting a board seat, um, having influence, reading reports, uh, you know, getting deeper in the sector or geography or asset class you like. And what I also do, I, I connect them with families who are in this um, special asset class. So for example, I had an example when it comes to forest, where we have in Germany a, a royal not, not aristocratic family who do forest in 850 years. You know, if you do forest in 850 years, there's not much what people can, to, can teach you. So if 
One of them would be interested in forest. I would step aside, would make the introduction to this family. And then she could go there. She could live with them. She could get to know them. Actually, this was the first mentor when we set up Iomi. This, this um, gentleman, it's, his name is Prince Michael Salem-Salem. He told me, if anybody wants to know something about forest, I invite them to stay at my, uh, my house, which is actually a castle. And I teach them everything. And, and this, this was, and he said, and if they're really good and talented, I might pay them even a salary. So this was an interesting conversation we had. So, and this is where we connect the ecosystem. I think the most important thing, if you want to invest, you have to have an ecosystem of people who are good investors, decent investors. And this doesn't include people who are rich and talk about their Ferraris, Maseratis, their yachts, their jewelry, whatever. This is not the mindset you need. Definitely. And that investment in education and experience is something you're always going to get a good return on that. Uh, so it's definitely worth putting in the time and effort. We, we've had a question coming in from Stephen. This is a very challenging one, actually. He's asked, how can men improve their connection? I didn't get the question because I was cut off. What is the question? How can men? Uh, he, has, he has asked, how can men improve their connection with their gut feeling? Their connection with their... With their instinct. With their instinct. Their gut feeling, their instinct. Um, I think it's really going back to yourself. Uh, and first you have to understand and learn about yourself. And I mean not just the bright side, but also the dark side. And then you, if you see it within yourself, then you see it also in others. It's a little bit like, and it might be a very weird example, but if you are, for example, a lot of women experience that. The second somebody tells you you are pregnant, you are suddenly surrounded by pregnant women you haven't seen before. It's the same when I got glasses. The first time I got glasses, I realized how many shops selling glasses are around me, which I have never kind of, so your awareness set gets bigger. And the thing is, when you, when you want to learn about you, it's really pushing your boundaries. You have to get out of your comfort zone. And this is actually what, what we do in the office every year, because I let the ladies make a list in the first time I sat with them. And I let them make a list of things they don't like and things they're afraid of. And one, for example, at all, on the top of the list, she didn't like to swim. And guess what I made her do? She got 40 swimming lessons. The one who was shy, you know, she said she doesn't speak in front of audiences. She got singing lessons. You know, I, I made her in just 40 hours. You, you don't do it for life. You, you, because something changes, you know, if you have a very timid voice and then somebody in brackets forces you to have 40 singing lessons, you know, you learn to breathe, you have a different stature, you know, to modulate your voice, you come out of it. Uh, with a new skill set, which you would have never would have chosen because you feel uncomfortable. So actually, they call it my my list of threats because I pick every year something from this list where they do the stuff. And we have this forty hours. It's the same. You don't want to. Uh, you don't like hiking. You do this forty hours. After that, you can decide if you don't like it. But if you have never done it, um, why do you know you don't like it? Uh, so this is this. But that you get. Um, you, you get your instincts ready, you develop as a person and, and you, you, you face your fears. And by that you see 
uh, other people's fears. You learn to read body language, which is important because the unspoken language is the things which really, where people really communicate. Now, it's, a, it's a very old thing that I think, uh, I think 70% of the communication is nonverbal. And then I think 15 is paraverbal, like the, the loudness of the voice of your, and the rest is the verbal one. So a lot of us have um, not learned to have the uh, paraverbal and the nonverbal language any longer. And you, you have to go back to that with your own language, because you have to also show what you signal to people. Um, and sometimes, and the good thing is to start with your instincts if somebody doesn't like you. You know, um, you, you meet somebody, somebody doesn't like you. Think about why, why this person doesn't like you. Maybe you threaten the person, they feel uncomfortable. Maybe you are, you look weird or you are, um, you know, you are, have an aggressive posture. Try to think about it. And sometimes you meet people you don't like. The same question, why? Why do you see somebody and said, oh God, what a jerk. Why, why do we have this without knowing somebody? What is, what is going on? And then you get much more in touch with yourself and your surroundings. And then the rest is just, a, yeah, it, it just takes over from there. Yeah, and you definitely, I, I like the fact that you really encourage the female principals that you work with to just get out there and do something because then they realize, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but that's okay. And it, they can still enjoy it. It can, it can still be great. The main thing is just trying everything as well. Um, and, you know, one other interesting thing, Ida, when you moved out to study, like, how did you find it from a cultural perspective in terms of being integrated into this environment, which is, you know, quite closed, quite closed to, let's say, outsiders? Was it easy for them to trust you? Well, tell me a bit about that process. Um, I'm... So there was at the beginning, because we, we were all thrown at the deep end, there was a lot of trust involved. Uh, and it, I think it was also that we, we had a, a natural co connection because we, we gave up something. So I gave up my job in this, this family office, which a lot of people still say to me, why would you ever do this? And, and they gave me their trust because they, they had to tell me over time. And trust was developing. You know, it's, it's actually... And there's also an example, um, when trust builds, you have to accept that people don't tell you everything at the beginning. So I had a situation where I knew that um, the lady was married. So that was my first information. After, um, I think, three, four months, the information expanded that she was not the only wife. And then at one point, she was the youngest wife. So I got more and more information. So at the beginning, it was just a blissful, I'm happily married with my husband story. And then over time, when, you know, trust is a relationship and, and you have to, it's, it's like you have a first date and then you get to know the persons. And obviously, you know, not many people at the first date kind of spill all the beans. You know, it's kind of, you, you don't tell people, uh, you know, you tried a very good impression at the first date. And it's a bit, little bit like that. So it developed over time. And uh, it was also at, uh, at a certain pace. Uh, and I think you have to give people space to, um, to come to you and, and also tell you um, uh, things they want to tell you. And I always told them, you know, is, uh, me as a family officer, I need to know your dirty laundry because the dirty laundry is where the risk is. 
So, for example, if if you are the third wife of somebody, that's a totally different situation than if you are in a in a relationship with just one wife and one husband, because this is this is kind of um, it's it's a totally different setting. And then I adjust my my way to that. But culturally, you know, we learn from each other. Um, it was uh, you know, I'm typical German. I'm on time. Um, um, Obviously, I was the only one on time at the beginning. Uh, now it changed in a very interesting way that I'm mostly the one who is late, which is ridiculous, but it, it becomes worse and worse. And, and another thing when it comes to cultural thing is, is um, that, you know, the, the, the Saudi politeness, they, they, when they cancel the meeting, they had always this sick aunt or sick child or sick somebody. And that made me sick because you know, I know that they were kind of really lying to me by being polite. And um, so I told them at one point that, um, you know, in Germany, we are superstitious. If you tell somebody is sick, this person will be sick. And actually, since that time, no more sickness when we cancel meetings. It's kind of <laughs> so. So we learned from each other. So they, they straight said to me now, you know, I don't have the time, uh, you know, I'm too tired. Tell me what really is the case. And this is also a sign of trust that they really tell me, oh, you know what, I cancel this meeting because I'm tired. I don't have, I don't have the, the mood for that today to, to go over the finances. And this is fine. I like it more than somebody telling me my aunt is sick. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's so we, we add a lot of honesty with the trust. So, and, and, Actually, our honesty is quite brutal. Meanwhile, we really tell us the truth, which is interesting and sometimes uncomfortable, but makes us all. And so you can really say our comfort zone has expanded. We feel much more comfortable in being brutally honest with each other. And this took time, a lot of time. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for being brutally honest with people and, you know, knowing that that trust is there and you have that environment where you can say, what did he believe? I also, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very sad, Eva, that the one cultural trait you picked up was being late. That is uh, <laughs> extremely un-German, but never mind. Uh, we have time. I just want to read out a comment, and we have time for one more question. We, we do have um, someone from the audience saying that she loves your inspiration for women to believe in yourselves and what gets women willing to pull out their stories and flex or stands in their way of nation life they really want so thank you Brenda for your comment there and closing question Ida I know you have been out um, you know you haven't had the opportunity to go into Saudi for a while now when you do eventually get back there what are you most thinking? I didn't get this so you cut off again when, when I get there is what uh, when you obviously haven't been back to you haven't had the opportunity to go back to Saudi for a while now, when you do eventually get back there post-pandemic, what are you most looking forward to? Actually, just sit down and have dinner. You know, I want, I want, a, I want a kapsa. I want, I want grapefruit juice. It's like, you know, I want. Um, so there are a lot of things. I just want to sit down and 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 see the the people. Seriously, it's it's uh, it's not about. Uh, we can do a lot of things remote, but I miss I miss the personal connection. So it's it's uh, um, and I'm. I'm I miss really the food and, and I'm the biggest date smuggler. I even, I'm still over the years, not sure if I'm supposed to bring dates and, but I'm too German. So if I ask and they tell me I'm not supposed to, obviously I won't do it. So I never asked. And, uh, 
So I actually miss my dates a lot because the, the stuff you get over here is not what you get in Saudi. Definitely not. So there are, there are some things I'm, I'm missing a lot. Send me your address and I'll make sure you get an early Christmas present. Um, but anyway, that's that's all we have time for. But I just wanted to thank you so much, Ida, and this enjoyable conversation now linked down. So thanks so much for giving up your time to so join us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you.